please subscribe and leave a review of Dorky wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can support the pod if you'd like. You can use PayPal or buy me a coffee. There are links to both methods on Dorky's website and in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much. Before the episode, let me tell you about an amazing online boutique that I just know you're going to love. Save Boutique, that's spelled S-A-I-V, is a great place for clothes, accessories, and shoes. One of the great things about Save is that it's size inclusive. Most items Save offers are available in sizes from small to 3X, and they're looking into ways to offer even more sizing options. They also drop new items every week, so there are always new things to choose from. They even offer three buy now, pay later options. Shop Pay, Klarna, and Afterpay. One last thing, they're offering a discount to DoorKey listeners. Just enter the code DOORKEY, that's D-O-O-R-K-E-Y, all caps, no spaces, for a 10% discount. I even put a link to Save Boutique in the description notes of this episode that will take you directly there and automatically apply the discount at checkout. So check out the amazing clothes, accessories, and shoes Save Boutique, that's S-A-I-V Boutique.com, has to offer. You'll be so glad you did. Hello, this is Dorkey. I'm your host, April. This is a podcast about history. I'm going to be discussing events, people, and sometimes just random things from history that interest me and are important. I am absolutely not a historian. I'm just a dork who spends a lot of time watching, reading, listening to anything I can get my hands on about history. And I want to talk about it. I think a lot can be learned from looking into the past, and I'd like to share what I've learned, and my opinion about what I've learned. And I hope you enjoy it. After her passing, this week could have only been about Queen Elizabeth II. Elizabeth II was born Elizabeth Alexandra Mary on April 21, 1926. She was Queen of the United Kingdom from February 6, 1952 until her death on Thursday, September 8, 2022. She reigned for 70 years and 214 days. That is the longest of any British monarch and the second longest recorded of any monarch of a sovereign nation, and the second longest recorded of any monarch of a sovereign country. Very quick side note, the longest recorded reign of any monarch is the French king, Louis XIV. Although, to be fair, his reign started when he was five years old. At the time of her death, Elizabeth was queen of 14 other Commonwealth realms in addition to the UK. She was born in Mayfair, London, as the first child of the Duke and Duchess of York. Her father came to the throne in 1936, when his brother, King Edward VIII, abdicated the throne, making the Duke and Duchess of York 
King George VI and Queen Elizabeth. This made their daughter Elizabeth, as their oldest, become the heir. She was educated privately at home and began to undertake public duties during the Second World War, serving in the Auxiliary Territorial Service. In November 1947, she married Philip Mountbatten, a former prince of Greece and Denmark. Their marriage lasted 73 years until his death in April 2021. They had four children together, Charles, who was Prince of Wales, but is now King, Anne, Princess Royal, Prince Andrew, Duke of York, and Prince Edward, Earl of Wessex. When her father died in February 1952, Elizabeth, who was 25, became Queen of seven independent Commonwealth countries, the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Pakistan, and Ceylon, known today as Sri Lanka, as well as head of the Commonwealth. Elizabeth was queen through major political changes, such as the Troubles of Northern Ireland, the decolonization of Africa, and the United Kingdom's accession to the European communities and withdrawal from the European Union. The number of her realms varied over time, as territories have gained independence and some realms have become republics. Her many historic visits and meetings include state visits to China in 1986, Russia in 1994, the Republic of Ireland in 2011, and visits to or from five popes. All of those topics are way beyond the scope of today's episode, so I won't go into them, but they were all important and need to be acknowledged. There's also a lot of, I guess I'll call it family gossip, that I freely admit to personally finding interesting and keeping up with. But that's not what I want to talk about either. I want to talk about Elizabeth the person and give her the respect that anyone who served their country the way she did for 70 years deserves. So, like I said, she was born in 1926. As a child, she was given the nickname Lilibet, as that's what she called herself as a child before she could pronounce Elizabeth. She was the granddaughter of George V and called him Grandpa England, which I think is adorable. Elizabeth had one sibling, a younger sister named Margaret, who was born in 1930. Elizabeth and Margaret were taught at home under the supervision of their mother and their governess. They were taught things like history, language, literature, and music during her grandfather George V's reign, or Grandpa England, as I'm going to be referring to him as for the rest of my life, Elizabeth was third in line of succession to the British throne. It went her Uncle Edward, who was first in line, then her father, then her. She was never expected to become queen, as it was assumed her Uncle Edward would have children and they would take her place in line. Then Grandpa England died in 1936, and her Uncle Edward became king. Her father became first in line, then her. But then, later that year, Edward abdicated the throne after his proposed marriage to Wallace Simpson caused a constitutional crisis. That's a very short and oversimplified version of what happened. But again, we're here to talk about Elizabeth, not her uncle. Edward's stepping down caused Elizabeth's father to become king. 
His name was Albert, but he took the original name, George VI. This caused Elizabeth to become the heir, as she had no brothers. If she'd had a brother, even if he was younger, he would have been the heir, due to the way the laws of succession worked at that time. But Elizabeth is what they had, so now they had to start educating her, like the future monarch she was, instead of the princess they thought she was going to be. In addition to the studies I mentioned earlier, Elizabeth received private lessons in constitutional history and learned French from French-speaking governesses. A Girl Guides Company, the first Buckingham Palace Company, was formed specifically so she could socialize with girls her own age. I wasn't sure what a Girl's Guide Company was, so I looked it up and found out that it's kind of like a Girl Scout troop. In 1939, Elizabeth's parents toured Canada and the United States. Elizabeth remained in Britain since her father thought she was too young to undertake public tours. But while they were gone, she and her parents made the first Royal Transatlantic telephone call on May 18th. I'm telling that story because I think it's a good example of just how different the world was back then. At that time, making a transatlantic phone call was still noteworthy. Then, in September 1939, Britain entered the Second World War. It was suggested that Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret should be evacuated to Canada to avoid the frequent bombings of London by the Germans, but their mother wasn't having it. So, instead, the children were sent to Balmoral Castle in Scotland, then Sandringham House in Norfolk. They would eventually move to Windsor, where they would stay for the next five years. When she was 14, Elizabeth made her first radio broadcast during the BBC's Children's Hour, addressing other children who had been evacuated from the cities. In 1943, Elizabeth undertook her first solo public appearance on a visit to the Grenadier Guards, which she had been appointed Colonel of the year before. As she got close to her 18th birthday, Parliament changed the law so she could act as one of five councillors of state in the event of her father's absence abroad or incapacity. In February 1945, she was given an honorary rank in the Auxiliary Territorial Service. She trained as a driver and mechanic, and five months later was given the rank of Honorary Junior Commander, which was the female equivalent of captain at the time. So yes, she was a princess, but she was actively involved in the war effort. At the end of the war in Europe, on Victory in Europe Day, Elizabeth and Margaret went out undercover and celebrated with the crowds in the streets of London. Typically, the heir is made the Prince of Wales, and there was talk of naming Elizabeth the Princess of Wales on her 18th birthday. But her father didn't want to do that, because that title typically went to the wife of the heir. It sounds like her dad was saying that the title princess was lower than prince. This doesn't make sense to my American self in 2022, but that's the way it was. Princess Elizabeth went with her parents on her first overseas tour in 1947. During the tour, in a broadcast to the British Commonwealth on her 21st birthday, she made the following pledge. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. Later that year, Elizabeth's engagement to Prince Philip of Greece and Denmark was announced. They had first met when they were children, and she fell in love with him when she was 13, and they began to exchange letters. 
Yes, the rumors are true. They were related. They were second cousins through King Christian IX of Denmark and third cousins through Queen Victoria. But people were more scandalized by the fact that Philip was broke. He was a prince, but his family had been literally run out of Greece. Was, quote, foreign born and had sisters that had married German noblemen with Nazi links. Before the wedding, Philip renounced his Greek and Danish titles, officially converted from Greek Orthodoxy to the Church of England, and adopted the style Lieutenant Philip Mountbatten, taking the last name of his mother's British family. Shortly before his wedding, he was created Duke of Edinburgh and granted the style His Royal Highness. Elizabeth and Philip were married on November 20, 1947, at Westminster Abbey. They received 2,500 wedding gifts from around the world. Elizabeth used ration coupons to buy the material for her dress because Britain had not yet completely recovered from the devastation of the war and was still rationing supplies. In post-war Britain, it was not acceptable for Philip's German relations, including his three surviving sisters, to be invited to the wedding. Neither was an invitation extended to the former King Edward VIII, who was now the Duke of Windsor. Elizabeth gave birth to her first child, Charles, on November 14, 1948. A second child, Anne, was born August 15, 1950. At various times between 1949 and 1951, Philip was stationed in the British Crown Colony of Malta as a serving Royal Navy officer. He and Elizabeth lived intermittently in Malta for several months at a time. Their two children remained in Britain. Elizabeth's father, George VI's health, declined during 1951, and she frequently stood in for him at public events. When she toured Canada and visited President Harry S. Truman in Washington, D.C. in October 1951, her private secretary carried a draft of what's known as an Ascension Declaration in case of the king's death while she was on tour. In early 1952, Elizabeth and Philip went on tour when they were told of the death of George VI and Elizabeth's ascension to the throne. Philip was the one who told her the news. She chose to keep her name Elizabeth as her regional name. I'm going to cut in here just to say how practical and unfussy that seems to me. I approve. She was proclaimed queen throughout her realms, and they quickly returned to the United Kingdom, and Elizabeth and Philip moved into Buckingham Palace. When Elizabeth became queen, there were some issues about what her royal house would be called. Elizabeth was from the House of Windsor, but it was the custom for a wife to take on the last name of her husband, so it was suggested that the royal house be called Edinburgh, after Philip's title. Another suggestion was Mountbatten, which was Philip's last name. But Winston Churchill, who was the British Prime Minister, and Elizabeth's grandmother, Mary of Teck, weren't having that. Elizabeth issued a declaration in April of 1952 that the name of the royal house would stay Windsor. This wasn't okay with Philip, so a compromise was made, and in 1960, the last name, Mountbatten Windsor, was adopted for Philip and Elizabeth's male line descendants who do not carry royal titles. Then there was an issue with her sister Margaret wanting to get married. There's a law that was passed by George III that the first six people in the line of succession needed permission to marry if they and their descendants are to remain in the line of succession. 
Margaret told her sister she wished to marry Peter Townsend, who was divorced, 16 years Margaret's senior, and had two sons from his previous marriage. Margaret was asked to wait a year. After that year, she was told that she could marry Peter, but if she did, she would be removed from the line of succession. In the end, Margaret decided not to marry Peter Townsend after all. Elizabeth's coronation was at Westminster Abbey. It was televised for the first time, except for the part where there's an anointing and communion. Elizabeth's coronation gown was embroidered with the floral emblems of Commonwealth countries. In 1953, the Queen and her husband embarked on a seven-month tour around the world, visiting 13 countries and covering more than 40,000 miles. That's 64,000 kilometers. She became the first reigning monarch of Australia and New Zealand to visit those nations. During the tour, crowds were immense. Three quarters of the population of Australia were estimated to have seen her. Throughout her reign, the Queen made hundreds of state visits to other countries and tours of the Commonwealth. She was the most widely traveled head of state. In 1956, Britain and France invaded Egypt in an attempt to capture the Suez Canal which failed. There was disagreement as to if Elizabeth had agreed with the invasion or not, and the British Prime Minister resigned. I don't understand all the intricacies of how British government works now, much less how it worked in the 50s. But somehow it fell to the Queen to pick who to ask to form a government in her name, which, to my understanding, isn't how that works now. She asked for advice on who to appoint, and followed it, but all of this led to her first criticism of her as queen. She was accused of being, quote, out of touch. The situation came up again where she had to appoint a prime minister, and she again followed advice given to her by advisors, but this again led to more criticism. Side note, in 1965, a formal mechanism for electing a leader in parliament was adopted, which ended the need for her involvement. In 1957, Elizabeth made a state visit to the United States, where she addressed the United Nations General Assembly on behalf of the Commonwealth. On the same tour, she opened the Canadian Parliament, becoming the first monarch of Canada to open a parliamentary session. Two years later, she revisited the United States and toured Canada. Elizabeth gave birth to her third child, Andrew on February 19, 1960, which was the first time a reigning British monarch had given birth since Queen Victoria in 1857. In 1961, she toured Cyprus, India, Pakistan, Nepal, and Iran. She also went to Ghana that same year, where there was threat of assassination. There were also threats during her visit to Quebec in 1964. She just ignored these threats. Her fourth child, Prince Edward, was born on March 10, 1964. As queen, Elizabeth had traditional ceremonies she had to perform, but she also instituted new practices. Her first royal walkabout, meeting ordinary members of the public, took place during a tour of Australia and New Zealand in 1970. Some other changes that happened during her reign was the 1960s and 70s saw a lot of decolonization of Africa and the Caribbean. More than 20 countries gained independence from Britain as part of a planned transition to self-government. The Queen toured Yugoslavia 
in October 1972, becoming the first British monarch to visit a communist country. She was received at the airport by the president of Yugoslavia. In the mid-70s, there was a constitutional crisis in Australia, and the Queen was asked to reverse a decision made by the Governor-General. She refused, saying she would not interfere in decisions reserved by the Constitution of Australia for the Governor-General. 1977 was the year of her Silver Jubilee, which celebrated it being 25 years since she became Queen. Parties and events took place throughout the Commonwealth, as well as national and Commonwealth tours. While this did reaffirm her popularity, 1979 wouldn't be so kind. In that year, not only was it discovered that the man who held the job of surveyor of the Queen's pictures was a communist spy, but Prince Philip's uncle, Lord Mountbatten, was assassinated by the IRA. She also didn't get along with the Canadian Prime Minister, Pierre Trudeau. You probably recognize that last name. And yes, Pierre Trudeau was the current Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's father. Then, at 1981's Trooping the Colors ceremony, as she was riding on a horse, shots were fired at her. Elizabeth kept very in control of herself, as well as the horse she was on during this. It was later found that the shots were blanks, but the 17-year-old who fired them was sentenced to five years in prison for it. He served three. Another attempt on her life was taken in New Zealand that October. The bullets were real this time, but thankfully, the assassin missed. In 1981, her son Charles married Diana Spencer. They quickly had a son, William, then another son, Harry. There's a lot about them that I'm skipping over so that I can stick to the subject, which is Elizabeth. Charles and Diana would be a very long episode all their own. In 1982, the Queen woke in her bedroom at Buckingham Palace to find an intruder in the room with her. She kept calm and, after two, yes, two, calls to the palace police switchboard, he was removed. The media in the 1980s really changed from how it had been in the past. There were more outlets for it, so the media had to be more competitive for stories and sensationalist to keep the public's attention. There was incredible interest in the private lives and opinions of the royal family, so that led to many, many stories about them. I'm not going to get into them or try to decode which stories in the press were true and which were made up. I'm just mentioning it because it shows the shift in the press, which shows the shift in society. The press even pitted Elizabeth against the Prime Minister. To show how bad things with the press got, here's a quote from newspaper editor John Trelford from The Observer in September 1986. The royal soap opera has now reached such a pitch of public interest that the boundary between fact and fiction has been lost sight of. It is not just that some papers don't check their facts or accept denials. They don't care if the stories are true or not. If Donald Trelford thought this was an issue in 1986, I'd really love to hear what he thinks of the internet. I'd assumed that about this period in time was when Elizabeth came up with her policy of never complain, never explain. But actually, no. This saying is actually thought to originate from a British Prime Minister in the 1800s and was adopted by the Queen's mother, 
who passed this advice on to Elizabeth. Later, in 1986, the Queen went on a six-day state visit to China, becoming the first British monarch to visit the country. In the wake of coalition victory in the Gulf War, the Queen became the first British monarch to address a joint meeting of the United States Congress in May 1991. In November 1992, she made a speech to mark her Ruby Jubilee, which celebrated her being on the throne for 40 years. Elizabeth called 1992 her Annus Horribilis, a Latin phrase meaning horrible year, and it was indeed a horrible year for her. There was criticism of her over reports of her personal wealth, stories about affairs and troubled marriages in her extended family, her son Andrew separated from his wife while her daughter Anne got divorced from her husband, and Mauritius removed her as head of state. She had eggs thrown at her by demonstrators during a state visit in Germany. All that and a large fire broke out at Windsor Castle. The monarchy had come under increased criticism and public scrutiny. Her speeches weren't usually very personal, but in this speech, she said that any institution must expect criticism, but suggested it might be done with, quote, a touch of humor, gentleness, and understanding. Two days later, the British Prime Minister announced plans to reform the royal finances, including the Queen paying income tax from 1993 onwards, and a reduction in the civil list, which is the list of individuals to whom money is paid by the government, typically for service to the state or as honorary pensions. All of this before December, when her son Charles and his wife Diana formally separated, which this isn't the time to get into, but was a very, very big deal. And the year wasn't over. Elizabeth ended up suing the Sun newspaper for breach of copyright because it published the text of her annual Christmas message two days before it was broadcast. Annus Horribilis, indeed. Side note, the newspaper was forced to pay her legal fees and donated £200,000 to charity. In October 1994, in what is considered to be one of the most important foreign trips of Elizabeth's reign, she became the first reigning British monarch to set foot on Russian soil. Through all of this, public revelations on what was going on with the state of Charles and Diana's marriage continued. Elizabeth wrote to Charles and Diana at the end of December 1995, suggesting that a divorce would be advisable. In August 1997, a year after the divorce, Diana was killed in a car crash in Paris. The Queen was on holiday with her extended family at Balmoral. Diana's two sons, William and Harry, were at Balmoral as well. Elizabeth and Philip kept them at Balmoral for the next five days to try to keep the press away and let them grieve in private. But this well-meaning, though misguided action, along with the royal family's silence and seclusion, and the failure to fly a flag at half-mast over Buckingham Palace, caused public dismay, to put it mildly. As a result of the public's anger at the royal family's non-response to Diana's death, the Queen ended up returning to London and addressing the nation in a live television broadcast on September 5th, the day before Diana's funeral. Side note, Diana's accident was on August 31st, so it took five days. 
In November of that year, Elizabeth and Philip held a reception to mark their golden wedding anniversary. Elizabeth made a speech that night, praising Philip for his role as a consort, referring to him as, quote, my strength and stay. In 2002, the Queen marked her golden jubilee, which celebrated her being on the throne for 50 years. Both her sister and her mother died within a month of each other that year. She again went on an extensive tour of her realms. One million people attended each day of the three-day main jubilee celebration in London. In 2003, the press was getting even bolder. A reporter even posed as a footman at Buckingham Palace to get information. The Queen sued Daily Mirror for breach of confidence and obtained an injunction which kept the outlet from publishing any information gathered by this reporter. She also had knee surgery on both of her knees that year. In 2007, up to their old tricks, a newspaper citing unnamed sources reported that the Queen was having issues with the Prime Minister and that she was concerned the British armed forces were overstretched in Iraq and Afghanistan and that she had also raised concerns over rural and countryside issues with the Prime Minister. The reason this was such a big deal is because Elizabeth had always made it a point to try to stay neutral in politics. And this article, whether anything in it was true or not, claimed she had an opinion. On the brighter side, 2007 was also the year that Elizabeth became the first British monarch to celebrate a diamond wedding anniversary, as well as the year that she surpassed her great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, to become the longest-lived British monarch. Elizabeth addressed the UN General Assembly for a second time in 2010, again in her capacity as Queen of all Commonwealth realms and Head of the Commonwealth. The UN Secretary General introduced her as, quote, an anchor for our age. During her visit to New York, which followed a tour of Canada, she officially opened a memorial garden for British victims of the September 11th attacks. She also went on an 11-day visit to Australia in 2011, which was her 16th visit to the country since 1954. She also made the first state visit to the Republic of Ireland by a British monarch that year, by invitation of the Irish president. 2012 was the year of Elizabeth's Diamond Jubilee, which celebrated 60 years of her being on the throne. Celebrations were held throughout her realms, the wider Commonwealth and beyond. She and Prince Philip went on an extensive tour of the United Kingdom, while her children and grandchildren embarked on royal tours of other Commonwealth states on their behalf. The Queen opened the 2012 Summer Olympics and Paralympics in London, which made her the first head of state to open two Olympic Games in two countries, as she had previously opened the 1976 Summer Olympics in Montreal. In November of that year, the Queen and Prince Philip celebrated their Blue Sapphire wedding anniversary, which was their 65th. In December of 2012, she became the first British sovereign to attend a peacetime cabinet meeting since George III in 1781. Elizabeth stopped traveling as much after that. She started sending her son Charles, or other family members, in her place. Because of her age and the need for her to limit traveling, in 2013, she chose not to attend the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting for the first time in 40 years. She was represented at the summit in Sri Lanka by Prince Charles. In February 2017, she became 
the first British monarch to commemorate a sapphire jubilee, which celebrated her 65th year on the throne. Prince Philip officially retired from his official duties as Queen's consort that August. They would celebrate their platinum wedding anniversary that November. That's 70 years. In 2015, British Parliament passed a law changing how royal succession went. It used to be that the throne would automatically go to the Prince of Wales' firstborn son, or, if something happened, the secondborn son. The new law has made it so that the firstborn child of the Prince of Wales gets the throne, or, if something happens, the secondborn child, regardless of if that child is a boy or a girl. So, under the new law, William's firstborn, George, is in line for the throne after him. Then, his secondborn, Charlotte. Then, his thirdborn, Louis. Had this new law not been passed, it would have gone William, George, Louis, then Charlotte. On April 20, 2018, the Commonwealth Heads of Government announced that she will be succeeded by Charles as head of the Commonwealth, which she stated was her, quote, sincere wish. Then came March 2020, bringing the COVID pandemic. The Queen moved to Windsor Castle and sequestered there as a precaution. Public engagements were canceled, and Windsor Castle followed a strict sanitary protocol nicknamed HMS Bubble. On April 5th, in a televised broadcast watched by an estimated 24 million viewers in the UK, she asked people to, quote, take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. On the 75th anniversary of VE Day, May 8th, in a TV broadcast at 9 p.m., the exact time and date her father, George VI, had broadcast to the nation in 1945, she asked people to, quote, never give up, never despair. In October, she visited the UK's Defense Science and Technology Laboratory in Wilshire, her first public engagement since the start of the pandemic. On November 4th, she appeared masked for the first time in public during a private pilgrimage to the tomb of the unknown warrior at Westminster Abbey to mark the anniversary of his burial. Elizabeth's husband, Prince Philip, died on April 9, 2021, after 73 years of marriage. Due to the COVID restrictions in place in England at the time, the Queen sat alone at Philip's funeral service, which, as unbiased and neutral as I'm trying to be in this, I will say that the pictures I saw of her sitting alone at Philip's funeral broke my heart. Despite the pandemic, the Queen attended the 2021 State Opening of Parliament in May and the 27th G7 Summit in June. In October 2021, she began using a walking stick during public engagements for the first time since her operation in 2004. Following an overnight stay in the hospital on October 20th, several appearances were canceled on health grounds. The Queen's Platinum Jubilee, which celebrated 70 years of her being on the throne, was in February 2022. In a speech she gave, Elizabeth renewed her commitment to a lifetime of public service, which she had originally made in 1947. Later that month, the Queen, along with some staff and family members, tested positive for COVID. On February 28th, she was reported to have recovered and spent time with her family. March 7th, the Queen met Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at Windsor Castle in her first in-person engagement since her COVID diagnosis. 
The Queen was present at the service of thanksgiving for Prince Philip at Westminster Abbey on March 29th, but was unable to attend the annual Commonwealth Day service that month, or the Royal Monday service in April. She missed the state opening of Parliament in May for the first time in 59 years. She did not attend in 1959 or 1963 because she was pregnant. In her absence, Parliament was opened by her son Charles, who was Prince of Wales, and his son William, who was the Duke of Cambridge, as Councillors of State. During the Platinum Jubilee celebrations, the Queen was largely confined to balcony appearances and missed the National Service of Thanksgiving. At the Jubilee concert, she took part in a sketch that opened the event outside Buckingham Palace. On June 13, 2022, she became the second longest reigning monarch in history, with 70 years, 127 days reigned. On September 6, 2022, she appointed her 15th British Prime Minister at Balmoral Castle in Scotland, the first time she did not receive a new Prime Minister at Buckingham Palace during her reign. On September 8, 2022, Buckingham Palace announced that the Queen was under medical supervision at Balmoral Castle after doctors expressed concern. I think we all knew what was coming when several hours later it was announced that she had passed away. She was 96. This episode isn't meant to be pro, anti, or even indifferent to the monarchy. What this is meant to be is a general, overall look at the woman who ruled as Queen of England for 70 years. 70 years. To put that into perspective, Elizabeth became queen in 1952. White Eisenhower was president of the U.S. in 1952. So this would be like if Eisenhower was president of the U.S. from then until now. Here are some other ways to wrap your brain around how much history Elizabeth saw and was a part of. As queen, Elizabeth's first prime minister was Winston Churchill, who was born in 1874. Her last prime minister was Liz Truss, who was born in 1975. That's a 99-year difference. James Bond has only ever served Her Majesty. Elizabeth reigned for 30% of the existence of the U.S. Since her taking the throne in 1952, we've had seven popes, 14 U.S. presidents, and 15 prime ministers, but only one queen. She's just always been there. She lived a long, extraordinary life. She saw and ruled over so much history and change. I mean, she saw the growth of television. She was born the year before the first successful demonstration of it. She saw the arrival and growth of the space age and the arrival and growth of the internet. The amount of progress and change she saw in her lifetime is astounding. And when I heard the news of her passing, I just knew that I had to devote an episode to the amazing life she led. Elizabeth's death affected the line of succession. Her son Charles, who was Prince of Wales, immediately became king when she died. He's now King Charles III. Charles's son William has become the new Prince of Wales. He will be King of England after Charles. Elizabeth's funeral is scheduled for Monday, September 19th at 11 a.m. at Westminster Abbey. So that's it. 
that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can reach me at dorkypod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know if I left something out or got something wrong. Or let me know if there's something in particular in history you'd like me to talk about. There's also a Facebook group called Dorky Podcast. Join it and be part of our community. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're hearing it. It helps the podcast grow. But more importantly, your feedback will help me make this a better podcast. Until we meet again, friends. Friends.